What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 157 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with EJ Keneal Uno. EJ lives on a small island off the coast of Honduras. He's an expat who's been out there for the last 17 years, designing a really cool life for himself in Central America. He's primarily pieced it together with his graphic design business, going into small villages and creating really cool customized maps of the lay of the land and the businesses that are within these small communities that are ever-changing, which is what made him valuable because he could go in there and he could make changes when necessary, kind of a plug and play model. And he just kind of floated for years doing that, going to from town to town all through Central America, making a really nice living for himself, living a really cool life. And this is a great episode for anybody with that type of skill set, something they can take on the road, apply their creativity, their knowledge to something that people need around them and charge a premium or just charge enough to keep yourself on the road for a while. So that's why I like this episode with EJ, because he's got this ingenuity, he's got this self-motivation, he's got this drive to keep living, keep designing the life that he's always dreamed of, and he finds himself on a beautiful tropical island, scuba diving, hanging out with friends, and enjoying himself. So hats off to you, EJ. Well done, buddy. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button for whatever you're listening to this on. Just hit that subscribe button. That really helps me in ratings and helps me obviously build the Misfits and Rejects brand, getting the message out there. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Share it with somebody who might have the skill set like EJ, be a graphic designer who's kind of not happy within their job. As a graphic designer, say, hey, you can go hit the road and do this anywhere in the world. Pretty cool, huh? And that would mean the world to me if you shared this message and just got it out there a little bit more efficiently for me. So thank you again for joining me today. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with EJ Keneal Uno. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and... Too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by EJ Keneal Uno, a gentleman living on Roatan who spent the last 17 years out of America. Somebody that I was acquainted with through Magenta LaRusso, who many of the guests have heard multiple times on this uh, podcast. And he reached out, and after hearing more about him and his story, had to have him on because it's a great, I think, inspirational story of somebody just living a really cool life on a small island off the coast of Honduras. So, EJ, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, brother. It's nice to have you, dude, and thanks for taking the time out of your day to come. You mentioned uh, pre-show that it's super hot right now in Honduras. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of hot right now. A little bit of a breeze, but it's probably about, you know, it's only probably about like 88 degrees. But with the humidity, the feeling, the real feel deals like 100 sometimes. So it can be miserable like in June and July. I'll bet, dude. Um, one quick question. Roatan, do people of Roatan consider themselves Hondurans or do they consider themselves somebody else, something else? So they are Honduran because Roatan is a Honduran island. It's like it's like Hawaii, right? Hawaii's part of the United States, but people from Hawaii would probably consider themselves Hawaiian rather than Americans in general. Correct. So, yeah, that's my question. Yeah, so there is definitely I would say the the islanders definitely consider themselves separate from mainlanders. 
Interesting. Do you know um, how long ago it was occupied or people started living out there? I know that. I think, um, what do you mean occupied? Like, if, if it was owned Inhab- by. Inhabited, I guess. When was Row 10 started to become inhabited by a population of people? Thousands of years ago? Uh, I don't know about thousands of years ago, um, but, you know, Christopher Columbus, I think on his fourth voyage or whatever, discovered or quote unquote discovered um, one of the islands of the Bay Islands called Guanaja, which is on the northern tip. If you look at a map, right? So there's the big island of Roatan. Then on the northern tip, there's another island, a couple islands that's called Guanaja. And then off the southern tip, about 30 miles away, there's Jutila. So on his voyage, he actually ran into Guanaja. And he and that's he actually named Honduras Honduras because that name means deep water bay. And so the bays all around here are, you know, we're super deep. We're in the middle of we're off the, off the edge of a of one of the major the Cayman trenches. So there's lots of deep water around here. So that's what Honduras means. Interesting. Were, were there people on those that island that he discovered? Or was <laughs> sure. It? Yeah, I mean, you know, more uh, indigenous Indians. Wow. But I would say uh, probably – I should know that history. I've lived here so long. But I would say probably around 1,000 A.D. is when people were first living here. Wow. That's super interesting. I'm going to have to do some research on that and put up some info uh, in the show notes for the guests because I don't know much. I just know that's a diving destination for a lot of people. you got Utila. you got Roatan. It's like one of the, the most inexpensive places to get certified. Is that correct? It is. Uh, it used to be. I mean, I don't, I don't know the prices. I don't work in the industry anymore. Um, but uh, it used to be, and I know Utila definitely is. Uh, Roatan has always been the more expensive of the two. So yeah. Utila's more of like the backpacker, uh, yeah, lower end, uh, lower cheaper side. But uh, the diving on Roatan is phenomenal, and I think – Man, so a course, an open water course, probably costs somewhere between three fifty to four hundred dollars. I would imagine to do your initial open water certification course. <clears throat> That's interesting. But you were never, you didn't go there to dive, did you? I mean, because you were in the um, what graphic design business for a long time. I did actually when I when I did get my I got my open water certification in San Diego in like 1994. <clears throat> so I was already certified and yeah, I, I came to Roatan because of the mapping project I had going on in Guatemala and I wanted to make it an international mapping project, which is probably something else we can talk about. Um, and so, uh, coming to Roatan in 2005 was a dual, dual reason. One was, I want. I had heard about the town of West End, and I had heard about diving, and I was all obviously interested in diving. But when I got here, I came here originally mostly for the um, the opportunity to do a, a, a Roatan or a West End version of my map, and then that just snowballed into multiple graphic design jobs. Uh, logo business back then this place was definitely I mean job people would come up open a business and it would turn over and I was the only one doing 
design work back then. So, so then that allowed, and then I worked as a, I did some work for a dive shop and I traded that for, uh, up to my dive master level. And I became an instructor after that. I see. Can you describe the mapping thing? Cause that, yeah, is really intriguing to me. Do you mean mapping like roads? Like you're mapping out like the different roads throughout each location okay. or what does that mean? Yeah. So what, when I, when I arrived in Guatemala, um, <clears throat> you know what the lonely planet book is, right? Correct. Okay. So when I arrived in Guatemala, uh, everybody, everybody, every backpacker had some sort of a copy of the lonely planet book. And so the maps of the towns were very rudimentary and more often than not, the information is in it about the town would was incorrect because of business closing, changing locations. And when the Lonely Planet investigator came to the town to make all those notes, it didn't get published until like three or four years later in, in the edition of the book. So I realized that. And I saw all these errors in the books and how frustrating it was for people. So I came up with this idea of a, of a map. I would, you know, I was a graphic designer. I had a laptop, I had a, uh, a, a tablet. Um, and so I came up with the idea of a, a current mapping project while I lived on Lake Atalanta. And it started in San Pedro, which is the town I lived in. And so it was an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper folded in half. Um, and then on, on the front page, I would take a picture, a digital picture of something unique about that town. And then I would digitize it and make it colorful and artistic and whatever. And then say, welcome to San Pedro, La Laguna, or, you know, welcome to San Marcos, or whatever, one of the towns. And then you open up that, open up the page and then what I had done there in, 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 in not the form of Lonely Planet is I actually, I actually went to the mayor's offices of all these little small towns that I, that I did these maps in. And they had, obviously, in the mayor's office, a, uh, an official layout of the town. So then I would take a digital picture of that. And I would digitize that on the inside of the of the of the map and then go around to all the towns or all the all the businesses in the town asking if they would like to pay for advertising. And if they did, I would take a picture of their sign so it was easy to find it rather than just the the name and a list of other names like it was in the book. And then so I put those uh, logos or signs around the edge of the map and then on the back side of the this little pamphlet um there's some more advertising options but then i also came up with and and researched a history of the town so i would come up with like a 10 or 15 point in 1300 the town was obliterated by an avalanche you know, in 1450, this this happened, you know, whatever. So there's a small history of the town. And then because there's 22 
different Mayan languages spoken in Guatemala. And from town to town, they're all different, mostly. I put like a five-word conversion dictionary for English to Spanish to the local dialect of, of, of the Mayan. So a little, you know, a little history, a little, a little vocabulary, and then, uh, and then I just gave those maps out. So that that was the basis for the mapping project. No, that's and, cool because I think for the audience, anybody out there who has a skill set like yours, you can go to any of these little towns, and no matter when you arrive, you can do these things and make a little bit of money because things are always changing in these environments. And I think this is one of those viable options for people that is kind of overlooked quite a bit, um, that you could go into a small town in Nicaragua like Granada and just do your own thing and, and come up with something kind of original and unique like you just described and yeah. make, make enough money to live for a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was hard work, right? Because, you know, I, I speak Spanish, so you have to be able to sell my, your product in Spanish to these to the, the Mayans and the Spanish speakers of, of Highland Guatemala. So that was the basis for the project. And it started in one town, and so it's so successful I took it to another smaller town on the lake, and that worked because I had, you know, I had a history. And then I took it to the big town of Panachel on the lake, and because I had a history of other two towns, it worked there. So then I took it to uh, Monte Rico, and and in the end, I think I ended up doing, I did some for Tikal and for uh, Flores and Paten on the other side. Um, I think I ended up doing eight different maps and multiple versions because again there are always changing businesses so some business would would close and like i wanted the whole project to be up to date so i think i did end up doing eight maps in guatemala and then i came to roatan and i did i was like well now fuck i might as well see if i can do this mapping project internationally rather than just all throughout guatemala i've covered guatemala all the tourist towns. Um, and then so I arrived here and I did the same, the, the formula worked here in West End. And then I took it to Utila and I did a map on Utila. So all in all, I did 10 maps for all the tourist locations in in Central America or in Guatemala and Honduras. This is really cool, dude. I love this. Um, can I ask how much you were making off your maps in each place roughly? Oh, shit. Like, was it a um, monthly income or was it like a flat fee for a certain? I would, I would just charge the one-time fee if they wanted advertising. I would, okay, there was like inside it's going to cost you $200. On the back it's going to be $100 because it's a smaller ad. So I had a whole of these pricing schemes. But I would make enough, like per map, I would bust my ass for maybe a month and a half. You know, living in hotels while I'm working every day and, you know, not, not at home. Um, so I would bust my ass for about a month and a half per mapping project. And then I wouldn't work for two months, three months. I'd just stay at home on the lake with my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> that's rad, dude. Yeah, that's the life. Part of work had, definitely had its payoffs. No doubt. Uh, real quick side note with the Guatemalan San Pedro scene. Was Gandalf there when you were doing your maps? <laughs> yes, Gandalf was there. Fuck, I haven't heard. Nobody's brought him up since I've lived on Roatan. That, that's fucking funny, man. 
<laughs> I wonder if he's still alive, dude. That guy was so I, funny. I don't. I was there. I did go back to the lake. When was that? Probably two years ago. Yeah, it might have been about a year and a half, two years ago. I, I did a quick trip. There was some shit going on here on Roatan. I just said, "Fuck it, I need to get off the island." I love Guatemala. Went back to Guatemala for like a week, and I went to San Pedro. And that again, that town has changed so much. You can't even see the lake from the whole town. Anyway, that's a whole other shit. But I didn't see him around, and I got the feeling that it wasn't someplace that. And he was old when I lived there, and that was fifteen years ago. And he wasn't. He didn't have a healthy lifestyle, so I would be surprised if he was still around. Yeah, for the audience, uh, we're we're describing an older gentleman, long beard. You can imagine he looked like Gandalf, which is how he's got his nickname. And he was somebody who, let's just say, could get things for you if you were looking looking for certain types of things. He had the hat. He had the big white beard. He had uh, a staff that he walked with. I mean, it was a living incarnation of Gandalf. And yeah, he was somebody that could get you things. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really sweet old man. He just would walk the streets asking if you needed anything. Anyways, um, let's talk to the audience a little bit about your departure from the States because you were raised in Inglewood, California. I was born in Inglewood. I was born in Inglewood uh, when I was young, lived in uh, San San Pedro, which is kind of ironic. I never put those two together. Um, And then, uh, like I said, after living there for – five or six years, uh, family moved to outside of, uh, San Francisco and then to, um, a town. And I think maybe we moved back to LA area. I moved around a lot when I was young and then back to, and then I went to high school in, um, again, just outside of San Francisco, the other side in, in, in Walnut Creek at De La Salle, um, High school there, uh, and and before high school, and then went to college for a year at Washington State, and then moved to San Diego, I think in 1994. And I was in San Diego from 94 until January 1st, 2002. January 1st, 2002, and the whole time were you in the graphic design business while you're in San Diego? No, I, actually, when I was in San Diego. I went to school at San Diego State for a little bit, um, and then I was actually doing uh, I was doing uh, IT work. You know, helped me my my keyboard stuck. You know, the basic level of corporate idiots that don't know how to use a computer. So I was doing that, and uh, I was living on the beach in San Diego, paying like nine hundred dollars a month, ridiculous for a small apartment. And uh, that was when the first internet recession hit. And, the, you know, and I didn't have any – an alphabet soup of, of, pedig- of degrees and, you know, certifications. So I got laid off and I uh, I tried to find work. Couldn't. It was just impossible. Um, I tried at the time to, you know, sell some sort of graphic design skills or apply for graphic design jobs. Um, and after about – eight months of just trying that, like literally trying, you know, reading the fucking newspaper every day and really busting your ass. Uh, I just could, I was, I was running out of money and, uh, I, I just had this idea of like, you know, if you're going to, 
if you're going to start over, you might as well go start over someplace else. It's not working here. And I was like, well, and, you know, and back then, Americans only thought of Costa Rica, you know, Guatemala is dangerous, Honduras, uh, fuck Honduras, nobody goes to Honduras, El Salvador, there's Nicaragua, there's civil wars going on there. All this shit people told me before I was leaving, it was, it was so funny. So then I just bought a plane ticket, sold 95% of my shit and moved into a backpack with my laptop. I haven't looked back since. That's really cool. So when you landed in Costa, where was your first destination? <laughs> I, I actually, I had, you know, I had nothing planned. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was pretty fucking crazy the way I did it. I had nothing, I had, you know, I knew five words of Spanish, plane landed. I took a taxi to San Jose and I was in San Jose for, I don't know, a week or something. And then I got myself to the beach, the beach side. Cause I was in San Diego. I surfed. So I worked at a couple of surf camps in on the on the Pacific side of Costa Rica. Um, yeah, you know, I found odd jobs, and then in the town and in the towns, I would do graphic design work because again, that was something that was needed in all those towns way back then. There was nobody. If you wanted to design work, you'd have to go to the capital, so you couldn't find it. So I was a traveling graphic design salesman slash surf bum. <laughs> that's so rad do you um like did you go to any surf camps outside of haka like playa hermosa or was it i never i never made it to haka i made it to uh i was in tamarindo for a little bit and right on the um right on the border of nicaragua there's a town called playa del coco um so that's where i was you know and again being the the ignorant American, I didn't know you had to only stay in country for three months before you had to leave, you know, 90 days. So that's how I get, that's how I did. I found out about Nicaragua and stayed, you know, and did the Nicaragua Costa Rica back and forth for about nine months. I think like that, just going back from town to town. At what point did you realize this was a viable lifestyle that you were living? I mean, and you could actually probably make it work. Instantaneously, once I once I became aware, it was like the first probably I don't know, man, six months of when I was when I started out, I rarely charged for any work. Right, I would trade a menu design for a restaurant for a month and a half of food. I would do a brochure for a hotel for three weeks of a room to stay in. You know, so I so. I wasn't really making money, but I did learn very quickly that there was a, a need for my services. And then I just started making up prices that to see what people would charge or would pay for. So then I had always had money for traveling around, didn't have to dip into my savings. And, and then once I got to Guatemala, that's when my business really took off. And yeah. So yeah, let's let's go through the timeline of that. So you land in Costa, you do like nine months border hump border jumping between Costa and Nicaragua, and yeah. then did you spend years doing that, or did you then move to Guatemala for years? I think I was only doing that for like the first. I was thinking about this earlier. So I got there in two thousand two. I got to Roatan in two thousand five. I lived in Guatemala for about a year and a half. So maybe for like the first year and a half is when I was hopscotch in between Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Okay. And, and I, and I was, I was spending most of my time in either Granada or 
on the beach in San Juan del Sur, which is kind of like what this West End has gone through. It's a small little fishing town. It used to be anyway. Um, and then when, and then when I was in Nicaragua or when I was in Granada, I was working, you know, again, odd jobs, working as a busboy or a bartender or whatever. And, uh, I met this girl who had driven down from Lake Atatlan. She had, you know, she had lived in Guatemala and she had driven down to Granada with two of her friends in a stick shift car. And her and her friends got into a fight, and they bailed on her. They left. So she's like, now I'm stuck in Granada with a stick shift, and I don't know how to drive a stick shift. So I was like, I know how to drive a stick shift. Let's go to, let's go to Guatemala. So then I, I drove from Granada, Nicaragua, all the way to Lake Atala. And that was fucking quite an adventure. That was good fun. <laughs> that was good fun. Oh, bad, dude. This is, this is one of those aspects of these stories that I love, which is, you know, by just doing what you're doing, these really cool opportunities come up. And if you have sort of the location independence that you had through your work, you can just jump in that car and go, you know, and just have that adventure. Yeah, I mean, she told me about the lake and, and the town, San Pedro, that she lived in. And it was like, this is just the same type of environment that, that I've been ex- experiencing already. So let's try and take my design business on a road trip to Guatemala and see, it's like, what the fuck do I have to lose? I mean, I, there was nothing concrete that it would work as it was working previously. And when I got to Guatemala, it just skyrocketed. So then I was in Guatemala for what, about a year and a half. And then, um, and then like we talked about earlier, the, the, the path to come to Roatan was based on uh, mostly trying to take my business international and the mapping project. And then why didn't it go international? Why did you kind of just decide to stay in Roatan? Well, I would call it, I would call it international because, you know, I went from Guatemala to Honduras. Um, but then I stayed on Roatan because the diving is fucking awesome here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was able to, I was able to do both. You know, and, and back then, the town was – it was a small little single-lane sandy road where everybody knew each other. And there was, you know, one bar at 5 o'clock where everybody would meet, and then you just moved down the street. And it was like a giant family. It was really fucking awesome. And um, and that was cool. You know, it was, and, it was, and again, it was, it was a Caribbean island where I was diving and doing design work. And until one of those two things was going to stop, maybe one of the other things would uh, help support it. Until, so, so I just stayed here. It was great. How many of those original uh, expats or people that found themselves there are still there to this day that you've met when you first arrived? We're all a bit older now, <laughs> so we don't really hang out at the bars as much as we used to. Um, oh, man, I would... I would probably say, okay, so there's, I, I can't speak for the east side of that, right? I would say there's probably, from the people that I met when I first got here, there's probably about 10 or 15. Of the original what? 30 or 40? Of, um, when I first got here, everybody was an expat, you know? So there were a lot more. And then, you know, people just 
just peel off every now and then. You know, sometimes they peel off without saying goodbye, and it's like, where's this person? No, didn't you know they left? They left the island. Um, well, so, I mean, when I first got here, everybody was young and working in dive shops. So that would have been a couple hundred people maybe. Okay. And of those couple hundred, there's about 10 left that roughly you think are still around. <laughs> 10 to 15 that I see on an occasional basis. Let's talk about that because I have some experience with this as well, just the small fishing village I lived in for 10 years in Nicaragua. Um, how do you feel about those changes? Because I find a lot of us get to what we have perceived or always dreamed of finding paradise. We find it in these little fishing villages, idyllic, just beautiful, pristine. And then because of our arrival there, it slowly starts to change. We bring more people. And then it turns into, for a lot of us, a a nightmare. Um, And I'm not speaking for anybody except for, I'm not even speaking for myself because I don't find it a nightmare, but it changed in a way that I wasn't super stoked on. But I was a direct cause of that change. I agree with the first part of that. I don't, maybe I was through my design work and, and marketing. Maybe I did help develop some businesses that exist today to the successful businesses that they are. So maybe I had some, some part in that because I did a fucking lot of work down here. <laughs> I did a lot of the work just in the West end over the years. Um, but the big change I would say is the cruise shippers and, um, the influx of American and our international tourism that are, that aren't just backpackers coming down to hang out on a, on a beach or be a dive instructor, you know, cause that's pretty much all it was. That's all we did back then. Everybody in town was just a dive instructor or a dive master. But, um, yeah, over the course of the years, you know, like I said, the, the road got paved and that completely changed the look and feel of the town and just the, just the ambience of it. And then at the same time, now there's a paved road. So taxis are speeding down the road now. It's not as, you know, it's widened. Um, and that's all. And that was all done just because the mayor at the time wanted it to get done. And those changes have been okay for you. I mean, it's a sign of progress, which isn't something that has bothered you. Um, I, don't think that if I was backpacking around today and I got to West End as it is now, it's definitely not a town I would want to live in for 10 years like I did. Yeah, I lived, I lived in that town and I, I jokingly referred to it as like June jail time. I did my 10 years in West End. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but, mean – it's yeah, it's, it's 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 a topic I bring up a lot because I have mixed emotions about it, and obviously, the one constant is change in all of our lives. But I think it's something that we we overlook a lot of us as expats who do find that paradise without really, I think, understanding that just our arrival automatically changes it, and it's going to change in a way that I don't think a lot of us really anticipate. Um, so that's why you get a lot of those bitter expats sitting there at the bar being like, Oh, you should have been here 10 years ago. It's so much better. There's all these like idiot, you know, it's like, I don't want to become that person. And so I try to keep it in perspective, but I think you can go to any small village, you know, in a third world country on the world and you're going to find that expat who's just still stuck in the past. Yeah. And, and you definitely, I've, I've definitely met a couple of those people. And then again, those are the people, you know, one of them. She had been here when I first got here, and she was here for a couple years before me. 
Um, but and she left and went back to Canada to become a, a truck driver of all fucking things. Um, but yeah, you'd sit at the bar with her and she was just bitching and moaning and complaining about the people and getting robbed and the traffic and okay. Everybody goes to those little sessions, but she went on for months at a time. So you just, you need to leave. <laughs> you just, you're going to end up being miserable if you stick around here. And she left and now it seems like she's doing happy. She's doing something that she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, here. But. Now then, you took a break as well. What, 2015, you, you had met somebody that you really cared about, and you yeah, went, went back to the States for them? Went back to the States, um, and, I, and, I, and thinking about it, I, if I remember correctly, I think at that time, I was probably on the, on the cusp of that, that bitterness process, you know, just from getting screwed over by some jobs or whatever. Um, so maybe that was another reason why I had left, which we didn't, I didn't mention before, but I just remembered. Uh, so yeah, I left for Jan. I left for, uh, so I didn't become bitter. So I still would love Roatan if I ever came back to visit. And then I left also to try and, uh, discover, uh, or see if I could do some severe, use my graphic design skills and portfolio for a proper well-paying job in the States. And then come back to Roatan with some money in my pocket. <laughs> and how'd that go? It didn't go very good at all. It didn't go very good at all. What, and I really, what was the biggest hurdle that you were trying to overcome that you used to feel like you couldn't? I mean, no one ever told me. Well, I had one interview. Like I said, I, I probably handed out 60 hand-delivered paper resumes. Um and I think I had probably one interview for some low-end – I don't even know what the job was. And the interview went great. And when I called back, she's like, well, you're overqualified. What the fuck does that mean I'm overqualified? I know where the job is. I tell you I want the job. So I'm overqualified. I don't care. I can. I want to do that, that baseline job. Anyway, other than that um, – no interviews, no callbacks. Um, and I really thought that I was trying to do something different because I'm pretty sure that all these people that are advertising for jobs get, God knows these days, how many? hundred, a thousand emails. So I figured I would try to stand apart from the crowd and personally introduce myself and give them a, a resume that was very graphical in the style that I've done. And, um, and you know, for some reason it just didn't work out. And I, I, I'm assuming, and that's the only thing I can do in this case, which isn't usually a good thing to do, but I'm assuming it's because in reading through my resume, you know, I didn't have any jobs at real other than being a dive instructor, I didn't have any real job graphic design jobs at firms. You know, it was just my work that I had done. I was my own firm. And because I had lived in out of the country for 13, 14 years, I just don't, I I don't know. I mean, I speak Spanish. I I do books. Uh, I, so I don't know. I don't know why. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, cause in a way, like, 
you know, the metaphor you just used of doing your time. You know, we talk a lot about repatriation on this podcast, people coming back to the Western world and just feeling like they don't fit in. And a lot of, for example, oh, my skill set when I came back from Nicaragua, like I didn't have any skills to really plug myself into anything. <laughs> so how did that, how did you feel about that? Did you feel like you could connect with, you know, California, the Californians, the place you were found yourself in? Well, I lived in San Diego for 13 years before I left. So I thought I considered that would be a good, I love San Diego, all the different communities and the beach and everything. I love that place. But, uh, so I figured I would feel comfortable there. Um, my best friend from high school lives there. So I had a, a place to crash while I try to restart my life, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, but no, after living here and just everybody is so friendly. You know, either the, either they're on vacation, so they're happy, or the people like that live here, we live here, so we're happy, and so there's everybody's a happy person. And one thing, and you just like just the other day, I saw I saw a girl at the bar, and I just said I walked by. Do you mind if I grab my bag from over and come talk to you? And she's like, Yeah, sure. So we had a, a an hour long conversation, just randomly, and. Um, that thing and that uh, mentality is completely, completely absent from the states, or at least San Diego. And I can only attribute it to other towns. You know, so you sit at a, a bar after walking around all day delivering resumes. I'm sitting there having a beer, and I try the same thing to a girl that's sitting next to me who's talking to a friend. You get the fucking total cold shoulder. And nobody wants to talk to you. Everybody's like staring at their phones and self-indulging themselves and bullshit. And it just didn't feel it didn't, it, it didn't feel good. I totally agree, man. I can relate to what you're saying 100%. Uh, my next question would be, though, why then shoot back to Roatan? I mean, I get it. That's familiar. You have friends there. But with your skill set, as we talked about earlier on in the episode, like you could have gone anywhere. So why would you go back to Roatan? Because it's, it, it's home. Because I know people here it's not it's uh it's familiar um that's why i chose to come back here that's why i chose to come back here so and it was great i didn't i didn't tell anybody i was coming back so except for one person who kind of let the bag out the cat out of the bag a little bit but not too much so when i showed up it was a complete surprise to 99.9 percent of the people that thought i had left island for good I did the same thing after my 10-year stint. I, I left for about a year and a half and then just kind of snuck back into town and spent the next few years yeah. there. And uh, I, I plan on going back to Nicaragua as well. That's my home, just like you. I feel most yeah. connected to that place but have other, have other interests and things I need to kind of focus on right now. But it sounds like you're in a place in life where it's like this is going to be home. This is it. Like you don't have a huge desire to um, go set, uh, grow roots somewhere else. You just no. gonna kind of this is this is where you'll probably live and die, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and when I was in the process of leaving back, leaving the states and coming back here, you know, I'm a big believer in you know signs and synchronicity and all that kind of stuff. And the day I had, within an hour of the of the day I made up my mind to come back here, uh, my friend 
who I've known that's lived here. He's been on this island for 45 years. And that's fucking a long goddamn time. Mm -hmm. uh, he kind of takes care of these four. Uh, it's a, a duplex. Uh, and there's three apartments in each one. And within an hour of me making the decision to come back, he posts a picture saying, hey, I, I'm in charge of these apartments and they're for rent right now. And they are outside of West End. I'm like, okay, great. He tells me where they are, like right next to Lawson Rock. Okay. And then he sees pictures and it's uh, literally, like I said, the, the, I, the ocean is 250 feet away from my front door. I have a huge living room, a huge patio, a bedroom, and a bathroom on the second story. And it's fucking cheap, it's safe, and it's quiet. When you, talk, yeah. when you talk cheap, what do you mean? Like, Can you give the audience some perspective on rent? What do you pay monthly for rent? I pay $350 for rent. I pay about $50 in electricity, which is really cheap, by the way. But electricity really is really expensive. I think it's the most expensive in the Western Hemisphere, I think. Um, but I only use a laptop, you know, my computer and fans and a fridge. You know, I don't have air conditioning and stuff like that. You know, there are horror stories of people running up like $500 a month electricity bills. It's like, I don't know what you're doing, man. But uh, so $350 for rent, $50 for electricity, um, and then maybe another. 50 to 75 for internet and slash cable, but I don't, have, I don't have a TV, but I have to pay for it. Anyway. So, so all in all about 400, four, about 450 all yeah. in. That's rad. And then food wise, what kind of, what are you spending on food and booze a month? <laughs> booze can get expensive sometimes <laughs> <laughs> for all of uh, us. That's because what it's like a buck of beer. Uh, beers are like the local Honduran beers are, 50 Limpiras, so it's $2. Oh, wow. Jeez, that Excuse is expensive. For the, just a 12-ounce can? Yeah, uh, a bottle, yeah. Okay. If you go, to, if you go into the, the bars, I'll sell you a bottle. Um, there is a brewery that just opened up that my friend, uh, who's been here just a bit shorter time than me, he just opened up a brewery on the island, which is great. Um, so you can get beers on tap, which is something that didn't really exist here. Those are kind of expensive for a pint, like a small pint. Um, those are about five dollars, a hundred lempiras, so five dollars for a glass of that. Um, and then uh, a rum and soda, uh, a rum and coke, or something like that, is going to run about again fifty limps, sixty limps. Okay. So. Interesting. Are you? Do you have a vehicle, or do you have like a little motor scooter or something like that? How do you get around? I just take a taxi. Oh wow. Um, again, I, I live. It takes me a taxi ride to go into West End. It'll probably take about ten minutes. Um, and then if I go into Coxon Hole when I do my monthly shopping, which is the big town nearby, that'll take me another fifteen minutes. And, and those taxi rides are only. Dollar fifty to two dollars one way, yeah. So I mean, a scooter's all right, but you know, the thing about here is, <laughs> you don't need to know how to drive to get a driver's license. <laughs> you have to take a eye test, a blood test, and a psychology test, and that's it. So, imagine a, a, a place where all the drivers don't really know how to drive. 
<laughs> right. So uh, that it's not so you don't want to be driving a scooter or something like that. Um, I did have a scooter when Jan lived here. We we had a scooter for a, a year, but we again we just went from West End to the apartment right outside of town. We're shopping once a month, but that was it. Um, scooter obviously is more is cheaper. I mean, we would pay a hundred limps a week for gas. And that was it. So, but uh, yeah, taxis are more comfortable, and uh, you know, you don't want to ride a fucking scooter when it's in a torrential downpour. No kidding. How would a guest get to Roatan? Can you describe for anybody who's interested in visiting, like how they could get there? The simplest way, the fastest way. Um. To, to fly, obviously. Um, but you can't fly direct from the States. I'm imagining you have to go through. Yeah, you can. You, uh, direct, we have there are direct flights. <laughs> There's actually cheaper direct flights from Canada to, to Roatan directly. Um, and I think that just started up. It's busy season coming up. And if I got I think it's right. Round trip on that is like 550 or some, something ridiculously cheap. Um, coming from the States – there are direct flights from Houston, Miami, and um, L.A. Because, yeah, when I was doing my uh, Central American trek, like everybody was um, taking the boats across, you know, from that river yes. right there on the border of Belize and Honduras. Yeah, so that would be how you would fly. Um, and then if you wanted to take the boat, like, so, you know, if you wanted to go to the mainland and see the ruins of Copan, um you know, you would fly into San Pedro Sula direct because there are direct flights from more places to San Pedro. Um, and then after your trip in Copan, uh, you could take a, a shuttle to the Seba on the coast and then take the, the shuttle ferry across either Roatan or to Utila. How, about, how long does that ferry take? They just got the new ferry in. I don't know, it's been a couple of years. Um, now it's about about an hour and 20 minutes one way uh but it's a nice it's a nice uh catamaran it's a big huge powered catamaran now um so it's it's very smooth do you ever Not, leave the island i mean do you have residency i do have residency i got my residency going on two years now yeah how, how was that process was that pretty easy for you or hard fucking easy um because I had a, I found a lawyer who is in Tegucigalpa, and when I was researching my residency uh, options, uh, I re- some people were telling me, uh, "You have to do it, all that." But then, you, at the end of the process, you actually have to go to Tegucigalpa and be there in person to sign the paperwork, blah blah blah, and receive it and all that. And I was like, "Fuck, man, that's going to be easily like a." $600 trip, you know, extra on top of everything. And then I had a friend who had just got her residency done. And she said, no, this lady is beautiful. She charged you like $200 extra on top of everything, but you don't have to leave the island. You, know, you just have to send in your paperwork on the plane, on, on like the small little island hopper. Send in your paperwork, send in some money into her bank account. She'll take care of everything. She'll send it back to you. Six months later, I had my residency card. That's so cool. And what that cost you, like two grand total? Uh, it, it cost me up front about two grand. But then the way I did my residency, I did it through my business, right? I did it as a 
there's what was called uh, an independent merchant option. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I didn't know about that was that every year, uh, every year I actually have to go down to the municipality and pay taxes and, uh, and, and fees associated with my business, which turns out to be about three to $400 a year. So that's another, and I have to do that for five years. So that's another $2,000 spread out over five years that I wasn't aware of. Um, so all in all with that extra fee, $4,000, but I didn't have to leave. Right. Not super convenient. Is there another way that would be cheaper um, and as convenient? There are all kinds of options. I mean, um, and they're always changing. Like I, like I said, I don't think the way I did mine is, a, is an option anymore. Okay. Uh, you can do it as a retiree. Um, if, my, if my disability check was $25 more per month, I would have been able to use that as a, uh, a secure income, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't high enough for that to reach that level. So that's why I researched this independent merchant option. Okay. Now, yeah, but you, can buy, you can be a landowner, um, former corporation, uh, if you want, marry Honduran. <laughs> are there tax benefits for you? And I mean, cause you, are you still California? Like, do you have to pay any taxes in California? I don't have to pay any taxes in the States because I don't make enough. The first year I was back down here, I did get um, an IRS tax form and I went online and it said, nope, you don't even make enough to have to worry about filing taxes. Okay. Because I make just the bare minimum from the, the, that disability check. Right. Right. Were you art- like, when I think of graphic design, I think of artists. Were you artistic growing up? Were you a painter? Were you a sculptor? Did you do anything like that? I think I, I painted a little bit when I was in San Diego. There was always an easel around or something like that. And I definitely um, was, am, self-taught in Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. So in my downtime, you know, when I get off work, I would just sit at my desk, crank some music, smoke some weed, and, and try and figure out these programs that I knew I needed to know. You know, And so through that process develop myself into a graphic designer. When I, when I did go to San Diego state for a year and a half, I was in the graphic design program there also. Okay. But I was on, that was just the basic starting point. Okay. And just so the audience is clear, when you say disability, you were born with, um, what, two fingers and two toes. I was born with one finger on each hand. And then through surgery, uh, when I was younger, they added on or pulled the bones out of my hands, out of my feet, out of my hand, and then did surgery around the skin and gave me mobility. So I, I currently have two fingers on each hand and then yeah, two large toes on each foot. And then do you need like a specialized computer for any of your design work or like special nope. instruments? No, nope. I can probably type faster than a lot of people and then I use a, a tablet. So I, like, it's just like writing. It becomes natural. That's so rad. Just goes to show, dude. You can design your life in any way you want, dude. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, and that, that, like, that's one of the very first things I recognize. It's like I could do this and make it work. And I did. 
That's really cool, EJ. You know, EJ, if, if there's a listener out there super interested in doing the kind of life that you've done for yourself, what would you tell them to maybe inspire them to take that first step? Fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, don't have any fear. If, you, if it's something that you believe is just time to do, then just do it. Like, I mean, when I left San Diego, I knew – five word Spanish. I had no map of where I was going or what I was going to do. And 17 years later, I've never looked back. I love it, dude. And then, so your graphic design company is called funky monkey designs. Is that correct? Funky monkey designs. Right on. You spell it it a funky way. It's P H U N K I M O N K E Y one word. And then designs. Okay, rad. And then if an audience member is coming to uh, Roatan, can they reach out and you give them a tour? Absolutely. And they can find you through Funky Monkey Designs? Funky Monkey Designs or on Facebook under EJ Camil Uno. Rad, dude. Thank you so much for your time, EJ. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. No worries, man. Awesome. Thank you, EJ. Such an inspiration, such a rad dude doing what you love, living the life, living the dream, as we say. But we also know that it comes with a lot of hard work, a lot of creativity, a lot of dedication. As you said, it took a lot of time for you to create these maps, to build them, to stay in the towns, to adjust them, and to make a living on the road as you did this for years. Then going back to the States and trying life in the States, like some of us have to do for various reasons, you chose to go back. It wasn't for you. You realized it wasn't a place that you necessarily fit in in the way you used to. And now you're back in Honduras. And again, hats off to you, brother. Super psyched for you and looking forward to coming down there pretty soon and uh, sharing a beer with all of you and your friends. Again, if you're a first-time listener, please pull up that phone and hit the subscribe button. And if you like what you heard, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with a friend. Thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder, and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.